Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Vista, Prop Vista Property Report. Check this place out. They use cell phone information to really track, track performance on your properties. It is scalable, it's customizable, it's convenient. These are property reports you want, and you can save 25% if you use the promo code CRE Show. Just visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE Show. Well, speaking of show, we have a good one for you. Every year we get to talk to the leaders of the CRE counselors about a report they put out each year. It's called this year's the 2021 top 10 issues affecting real estate. And uh, the, the CRE counselors are an incredible group of people from around the world. Uh, to tell you how sophisticated, educated, and great these people are, uh, they invited me to apply to be a CRE counselor and did not let me in, okay? So, <laughs> so how important these guys are. Uh, but their information is great. They're a bunch of great, great people from, from industry around the world. And this report, they really take a lot of time. They interview a lot of people, and they take a lot of time to put together reports on the property properties and the real estate market, forecast the economy, and really look at what are the top ten things that you could you should consider moving forward when you're talking about commercial real estate. Well, please welcome my guest. It's Michael Couliard. He's with CRE Counselors. He's the global chair for 2020. He also has a day job. He's CEO of Muzak Corporation. They're an equity fund management company, and they have mixed-use property, office properties, some retail properties, some industrial. They, own, they control properties in uh, New York and Canada and other places. They also work in the public-private partnership area. Michael, thank you for joining us, sir. Glad to be here, Michael. Well, great. Well, you know, I guess the elephant in the room when we talk about uh, the top 10 issues affecting commercial real estate uh, is COVID, right? So uh, that obviously is number one. So, so what do you think? Well, that's what it is. Uh, in order to ramp up to number one, I guess we have a series of issues that uh, are interrelated and uh, will get you to number one. But uh, obviously, every issue this year will have an impact, I guess, be affected by the COVID situation. Yeah, and then number two, uh, you guys have economic uh, renewal. And, you know, and as we look to COVID, a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, what does the recovery look like? When is it? What, what's happening? So tell us about uh, number two, economic renewal. So we're going to start with uh, one, two, and going down to 10. There you go. Okay. All right, Mike. Um, no, Would you rather go 10 to one? We can do it David Letterman style. We can do it that way. We can do it that way. Uh, but your number two quickly um, definitely has a, uh, an impact on the duration of the situation we're all living now. Um, a lot of uncertainty is still out there. Um, some questions unanswered. Uh, will there be a second wave? All these um, uh, questions, I guess, and answers will, will have an impact on our uh, renewal in terms of the economy recovery. Um, so and when you, and when you guys talk about it, when you guys are at your round table and you're doing these interviews, you know, as of today, really what kind of, what's the consensus on timing and, and you know, and, and how do you know? Well, the consensus, I think, uh, uh, and I don't know if we can talk consensus, but the, the, 
I guess the line of thoughts, and generally speaking, is uh, uh, we're we're right in the middle of it now. Um, we're trying to reopen the economy uh, in certain areas. Uh, globally, it's been open in certain countries and certain continents. Other than others, are right into it, and they've started to to close up. Um, and uh, and even China now is is uh, is coming back into it and uh they're talking of a second wave maybe big maybe but i guess still remains to be seen on on the world health organization standpoint um they're uh, a little cautious about reopening up the uh the economy in general and and businesses and workplace and the way we we used to live i think they're still prone for confinement and uh and i think that We'll see in the next uh, next weeks, next months, how things will evolve. Uh, in terms of our recovery, I mean, it's very much uh, intertwined, and and uh, the obviously it's been a shutdown, a dramatic shutdown out of the out of a sudden in March. And if you remember last year, we were at the end of the cycle. We were talking about, you know, there were signs uh, that are uh, out there, um, and confidence was. Um, getting a little weaker in, in, in the markets in general, but in, on the real estate scene as well. And, uh, but we never thought we would have a, uh, um, a sudden shutdown that we did in March. So now we have basically not only the economy, but our lives in general has been basically um, put on a standstill. And now we have to find a way to, to come back. And it's going to start by getting people on, back to being employed, there's a drastic level of unemployment right now, not just in America, but throughout the world. And uh, people have to find back their jobs, back their confidence, behaviors, uh, the way that they used to consume. But things will be a little different uh, and could be a lot different uh, as we uh, come back from that recovery. Um, and. Uh, and this is uh, this is the way um, we basically see in Q3, Q4, we'll start really starting, hopefully, uh, unless we have a second wave, uh, more opening up in terms of our businesses. People will be will be back to work more so than, than what we're seeing now. Right now, we're in the middle of the summer. Um, so I think the recovery and people opening up is... Uh, is basically more slowly to slowly to to uh, to start up again. As far as the um, 2020 uh, situation, I think we're going to be seeing overall in 2020 uh, a GDP of probably minus six, minus 6.1. That's basically our our projection. Uh, but in terms of 2021, uh, we'll probably see a growth of about plus positive four percent growth. But that will probably bring us to just over uh, in the positive uh, bracket for our GDP, and hopefully we'll go from from there. Some economists actually has has uh, predicted a recovery of about one, you know, over the next decade, 2020, and for the 2020 decade, uh, a growth of about 1.5 to 1.6, which was would be substantially less than what we've been uh, knowing for the last you know, seven, eight years. Um, I'm personally, I, it's, it's right now very difficult to predict anything, especially when you're talking about a decade. So I think a lot of events, a lot of uh, uh, 
parameters can happen throughout the uh, the decade and uh, things can change. Uh, to me, probably we can probably even aim higher than that in terms of our uh, GDP growth. But it'll take a while. Some sectors are, are uh, in terms of real estate, are, are hurt, hurting quite a bit. Uh, and they'll, they'll take a couple of years to recover, 18 months, 24 months and beyond. Uh, I'm talking hospitality. Uh, I'm talking retail that already is suffering uh, prior to the, uh, the COVID crisis. Um, and um, that's, uh, and then there's other sectors that actually uh, will rebound, uh, rebounds quite nicely. Yeah. Uh, and won't be uh, hurting as much. I'm talking about the logistic and the light industrial uh, in certain areas of, uh, of uh, businesses. Uh, office, even the, the office components or the office sector um, will uh, probably uh, on a short-term basis have its adjustments uh, not just probably, I'm sure we'll have this adjustment and we have to start adjusting now. Uh, demand and supply uh, will be affected as well. We're starting to see signs of it. Um, but generally speaking, I think the, uh, the, it'll, it'll bounce back in the next 12 months, uh, start bouncing back. Uh, we may see overall more so a W type of recovery as opposed to uh, just a swoosh, Nike swoosh recovery like uh, some predicted, we believe uh, there's probably gonna be some adjustment along the way in the next few months. There might be a second wave. Uh, so uh, in some sectors, it's gonna hold us back. And obviously unemployment has been, uh, is fairly high. I mean, close to 15% right now. I mean, it, it went down a little bit in June probably by 100 points due to the fact that we've opened up the economy a little bit, but uh, it's still up there uh, and it's going to take a while to stabilize. And that's what we need to do to stabilize all these factors in order to start seeing a, a decent recovery. How are the cities looking uh, today as we tape this um, here on June 30th? How are the cities looking in Canada uh, right now related to opening back up? Well, the, the major cities, uh, in Canada are, are very similar to what's going on in the States right now. Um, the this, this similar sectors are, some sectors are suffering more than others. Uh, obviously, Canada has, has been quite uh, quick to react in terms of, uh, of taking their, uh, their measures and um, isolation procedures and protocols and, and, and shutting down basically uh, a lot of sectors of activity. Um, I mean, it's been uh, it's been difficult as well in major cities in Canada with the employment. Uh, some people lost their employment on a temporary basis, but quite a few lost it also permanently, and uh, so they have to uh, reestablish uh, that their employment first, and then we'll uh, we'll see how things bounce back. Uh, you're talking more Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary. Uh, Calgary is very was very affected uh, already by the natural resources and our, our um, oil and gas uh, economy, um, and uh, so I guess the uh, situation didn't help. Um, but uh, Montreal, Toronto, and uh, Vancouver, uh, in terms of supply and offer, uh, we weren't uh, disbalanced or anything of the kind. Uh, 
office market and, and, and even urban retail situation within, within the city, uh, we're in pretty good shape. So I think we're going to bounce back pretty nicely. Uh, but like I said, retail will take much longer than office. Um, multifamily and uh, even residential on the condo side, uh, I think these, uh, now it's a question of, okay, where are the values, how that's going to you know, take place in the sense how how the market is going to react uh, in terms of uh, the residential and, and the demand. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that so much unemployment, I think, will have obviously uh, a direct impact on the on the demand of, uh, of homes and and uh, and even multifamily and rentals. Yeah, well, let's get to number three uh, in your top ten Surrey councilors uh, list here. It's capital market risk. Tell us about that. Well, capital market risk right now, uh, we're, we're seeing low liquidity and a wait and see attitude, as I was mentioning. And, and, and right now, there's a um, great difficulty and uncertainty in pricing that risk. Um, and if you remember last year, we were, it was the opposite. We had great liquidity. Um, the, even the parameters to underwrite the deals, um, as much on the debt side than on the equity side, we're even getting a little um, sloppy in terms of the underwriting. And we were trying, we were just seeing signs, I guess, of, of, uh, of reaching a bit of an end of a cycle. And, and now we're completely the opposite in the sense that this, the liquidity has stopped. Uh, it's a great difficulty right now, as I said, to understand where the pricing is and the valuations are. If you look at the debt market, there's term defaults starting to come in. People can't pay debt service. Um, corporations have problems with it. They have to deal either they pay the interest, but they can't pay the principal, or they try to negotiate something with their lenders. Uh, you're seeing maturity defaults and from valuation, liquidity, cash flow shortfalls. It's uh, it's very difficult to underwrite value, and uh, with interest rates at zero, uh, risk of valuation are very subjective and, and clear. Uh, spreads are hard to establish. Um, and for the few transactions going on, there's spreads are basically, there's a floor. Uh, and that's uh, how the, the deals are structured. And on the CMBS loan, I mean, there's crazy numbers right now. The, on the CMBS loan side, uh, there's record high delinquencies. I think in June, the plus 60 days delinquency was at up at 8.7%. And the commercial debt rates were down more than 36%, and some of them more than 50%. On the equity side, uh, well, obviously, you can imagine there's a lot of limited trade, uh, limited trading on prop properties, and um, seem to focus a lot on multifamily and industrial sectors. I guess the two sectors that are uh, behaving pretty good. Uh, and, uh, and then Q3, Q4, we'll start seeing distressed properties block sales. Uh, that's, we're actually starting to see probably some being structured right now. Um, like I said, in equity as well, as much as, as the debt side, is there's difficulty in evaluation and in, in the pricing and location and market outlook and, and sector types and, and, and asset class are key parameters. And then finally, for I guess inequity, there's the famous uh, opportunistic 
dry powder availabilities are high. Right now in June, we were at 208 billion. I think uh, it was uh, actually identified for value add opportunities. So that's, that's, uh, that's interesting to see. So thinking ahead, I guess, uh, with an absence of, of uh, vaccine and a possible second wave coming up, the couple of markets uh, will continue to try to evaluate risk and returns the best they can. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to number four. It's kind of the, the debt load out there on, on people's, you guys call it public and private indebtedness. Yep. Tell us about that. Well, um, real estate is, is really where it happens is really at the local scene, you know, municipalities and, and then um, cities and, and townships and, uh, and the value uh the demand in commercial real estate can be influenced by um, local indebtedness, I guess, funded by local taxes. And the public debt needs to be more uh, translated locally to understand really the interconnection with uh, um, uh, of air travels, let's say, ports, logistic infrastructure, and public transportation that, uh, that will influence that real estate demand and values and, and investment activities. So, on the public side, the U.S. national debt really now is at 26 trillion. That was actually up by three trillion from last year. Uh, actually, more than three trillion. Just six months ago, we were at 20, just a little more than 23 trillion. Uh, obviously, all these stimulus programs is uh, is bringing up that that national debt. Uh, but I think, Michael, you have to really uh, consider comparing this with uh, the percentage of your GDP. And, and the United States, America is a deep economy. And we're at more or less 122, 121.5, 122% of our GDP, when our GDP is actually in, you know, uh, not performing like now, but let's say we would be performing in the 1.5 to 0.6% area. So, um, so the 122% is uh, basically compares very well with other nations. Uh, and it, I think it can bounce back rather nicely if our economy starts rolling again. Like I said, it might, it might take a couple of years to get going, but I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be able to manage. But what's actually disturbing is more on the, uh, the personal indebtedness. But just to give you an idea, also on the state side, the state debt is 1.2 trillion. And, but on the local debt, the municipalities, where the real estate actually has a play, we're at 2.1 trillion. And that's almost double what the state debt is. On the private side, on the personal side, well, you're looking at student loan debts now are approaching 1.7 trillion. That's a, that's a big increase, um, even from a, from a year uh, from a year ago. It's over 300 billion increase just in student debt, and the credit cards now are up to about one trillion. Um, obviously, this will affect. Uh, on individual housing investments and consum consumption behavior and, and obviously impacting retail, auto purchase and leisure trip spending for travel. And, and then the total, total personal debt exceeds now 20.5 trillion. Uh, it's another big number. And again, this will impact commercial real estate in many ways, uh, reducing demand for housing and restraining consumption. 
entertainment activity, uh, interest rate even might go up to attract capital to fund the debt and, uh, and the ability to repair and, and, and upgrade our aging infrastructure. And, um, it, it, and it, it has a major impact, obviously. And uh, so that uh, with the unemployment hap- uh, so high right now, obviously, it's not going to help. Well, let's get to number five, and that's affordable housing uh, made the list again this year. Yeah, affordable housing is uh, one of our biggest problems facing the U.S. housing market. And it's not just the U.S., Michael. We have the same in Canada, and it's uh, it's a global issue. Uh, But when you think of it, poverty really is a real culprit here. And uh, there's three basic needs for people, really. Uh, You have food, you got your education, uh, hopefully leading to careers and, and jobs. Uh, and then there's affordable homes. People need a home. Um, so uh, these times, I guess, of political uh, divisiveness, and, and there's two things that uh, we can all agree on, and it's the tremendous need, I guess, for this affordable housing, but also a strong NIMBY, or not in my backyard agenda. And uh, that's what we have. And that's, we seem to have this issue every year and it's not gonna go away in a year. And uh, right now the shortage of, of, of uh, affordable rental homes is, is somewhere around 7.6 million uh, for extremely low income renters. Uh, it's huge, it's that people being at or below poverty levels. And, um, and what you have is, is the lack of housing supply drives up rent, thus increasing price as well for multifamily investment properties. So, and then when you look at home prices for the bottom 20% or the 20 percentile, uh, there was an increase of 126%, I believe. And for the homes with that top 20%, their increase was 87% over the last 20 years. So uh, it's a no-win situation. Uh, So, you know, there's this solution out there and then there's there's uh, a few solutions that I guess we we uh, we talked about in our narratives and in our presentation. Um, one, I don't know if you want to go there, uh, but I can go down the list a little bit. But you know what, the the, the relationship between uh, the private and the public sector is key into this, and especially the public sector towards the private sector. I think it, it, I think the answer is there. Yeah, we have to. Uh, get more of the private sector involved with this and expediting the approval process into any development by adding inherently beneficial use like uh, some state has done to municipal land use laws to circumvent the bypass opposition, the NIMBY opposition, um, probably is a solution. There's always a risk to that. Uh, The other one is to expand uh, the subsidy programs to affordable housing uh, to encourage the expansion of existing subsidy programs. Uh, the use of power of zoning to create subsidies as well, necessary to provide more affordable housing and, and, and market rate housing. Uh, this is another, another way. Um, but basically at the local and municipal level, the use of zoning-based incentives like density, height, tax abatement, uh, provide free land even, uh, eliminate costly parking requirements, permits, uh, yeah. you know, utilities, uh, utility connecting fees, uh, all sorts of ways here and there that can make it 
uh, attractive for the developers and for the private sector to get involved into uh, the productions of, of uh, formal housing, social housing, and workforce housing. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, in some parts of the world, in, in in Europe, and we have that in Canada, that there's a, uh, a bit of a tendency to towards a certain type of regulation. In some areas, they call it the 2020 regulation. Basically, it's uh, on major development. There's a 20% going to affordable housing, and 20% going to more social housing uh, within a project. Uh, so. The developer basically trades off against more flexible zoning again, restriction, excess land. He gets probably more land or other properties being also contributed by the public sector to enhance uh, for him to develop that 20% of social housing and 20% of affordable housing in its project. Uh, and also expedite the approval and process and the permit deliveries. Or the developer has the choice to forego and to pay that special tax uh, instead of compensating to include affordable housing components. So in other words, either he puts it in his project and then he designs the project in order to accommodate this 20% of social housing and 20% affordable, or he forgoes and he gets, he has, he has to pay that tax. Now, that tax would allow the public to use those funds as subsidies for affordable or social housing elsewhere. Um, but the thing is that developer or the development project has that extra um, zoning flexibility and, and setbacks and heights and density that, uh, that can command uh, the project and he's able to pay that tax. Well, there's an incentive, in other words, for the private sector and the public to... to sure, I mean, and those are some great ideas and there's some, some land out there and especially in the opportunity zones and like you said, if you cut back on some of these costs uh, for all the, all the entitlement and construction and the hookups. And you know, there's a lot of ways to, to ta help tackle affordable housing. Well, that's the top five. We have uh, six through 10 coming up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll get right back and we'll look at the CRE counselors top six through 10 issues affecting real estate. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. We'll be right back. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by commercialagentsuccess.com. Check it out for the ultimate and commercial real estate agent video training, commercialagentsuccess.com. Well, today we're covering the CRE counselors' top 10 issues affecting real estate. Uh, they put out this report every year. It's awesome, great group of people, and they spend a lot of time, a lot of uh, interviews, a lot of roundtables 
helping us look at the future, right? What do we need to keep in mind for real estate moving forward? My guest is Michael Couillard. He's CRE Counselor's Global Chair for 2020. He's also CEO of Muzak Corporation, an equity fund management company. And uh, so now we're at number six, and this is an interesting one because I think a lot of us are uh, been confined to our houses and not traveling everything. So number six, drum roll, is flow of people. Tell us about that. Well, flow of people between and within countries is always, always like uh, a critical driver to the economy and real estate. Uh, demand increases where population flows, basically. And uh, for us now, immigration is pretty much halted. Uh, driven by nationalistic policies, or more recently now the COVID crisis. Um, and also internal migration is, uh, within regions, has decreased, uh, decreased, obviously, the last few months. Uh, reduced migration and COVID-19 behavioral change um, hurts demand for residential, hospitality, uh, and, and, and obviously retail. But also companies and universities lying, relying on foreign workers and students. Um, and that's, that's another issue. Um, in early May, uh, there was a, 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 uh, a poll, Harris poll, 40% of urbanites were considering leaving the city for the suburbs, concerned about the health crisis. Uh, I would imagine that percentage has fallen down, but that's small. But uh, this really pushes the expansion of the hub and spoke model, basically, of your core being your, your hub and, and your suburbs uh, area and suburban markets that are benefiting from it. Uh, I believe we'll see some of that. I'm actually living through a couple of examples in Canada uh, exactly about that, uh, where uh, the corporation or the company is established in the, in the core, but they're going to, they're seeking to reduce their space and their print in the core and, and, and uh, open up a, a couple of offices on the suburb sides, both on the north side and the south side of Montreal. So, uh, and, and we're going to see a bit of that going on. Uh, this is probably going to be short term to medium term and, and our core is going to bounce back again. I'm not, I'm not worried there, uh, but it's interesting to see. So there is this movement, uh, flexibility of people to move to better job also has uh, always driven productivity and, 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 and I guess that's the, the real estate market as well. Um, migration, uh, urbanism, and even global connection has always been central components uh, to um, the growing world economies and real estate. Uh, and nationalism and the COVID crisis right now just reset the uh, playing fields and, and, and just by limitation, limiting the migration and slamming the economy with what we're seeing now, but limiting also international cooperation. So that's, that's what we see in terms of both people. Obviously, um, as the recovery comes back, and especially as uh, we start seeing cure to this health crisis, uh, we might probably going to see a little bit more flow of people again and migration being more active. Yeah. Well, let's get to um, number seven, which is an interesting one. You, I guess you were kind of touching on it there. It's space utilization. Yeah. Um, COVID will have a lasting impact. And then there's some impacts that are probably going to 
go away after a few years, but there's going to be some lasting impacts on design and use of space again, location, and, uh, mechanical infrastructure of buildings and, and, uh, and properties, um, interior configuration. Uh, will there be more space needs in terms of the workplace uh, because of less density? Will it be less space needs because of people working more remotely? Um, is this going to be a trend in terms of remote work uh, in the sense that you're probably not going to have complete remote work, but you're probably going to have a rotation of your, of your staff, of your people uh, that you want to see. You want to probably limit them their traveling times to back to the city and uh, you know, you've, you've invested and you've, were able, you've been able to work with uh, remote employees for a few months now. I think uh, there's a trend that's going to be uh, implementing itself. And uh, we're actually seeing, uh, talking to companies and company heads and, and, and principals that are thinking of, you know, adopting this, uh, this, at least trying it out for a while and see how that works. Um, there's a new focus to be placed on, on, on health of building occupants and, and from building entry and vertical transit and improvements to indoor air quality, uh, monitoring the health and vital signs uh, in buildings, reductions of contaminants. Uh, there's definitely a focus there and, and key urban planning and density capacity revisions are needed. Uh, for transport hubs and transit halls and large common area space and housing and hospitality and workplace and even retail and senior res and healthcare areas uh, and, and even large venues like cultural sports and recreational venues. I mean, there's, there's so many um, uh, density and, 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 and capacity revision to, uh, to bring to those, uh, to those uh, property types. Um, they, they basically, interesting in the retail, I mean, retail is going through such a dramatic uh, change and, and it's, you know, they're having such problems, but the medium density and mixed use communities, uh, I think will replace the old retail format and we're starting to see it. And, uh, you know, with design that embraces more walkability and integration, especially more urban retail. Uh, a little resembling a little bit like the European cities. I think Europe, Europe is more uh, in that way of, of thinking in terms of their retail. Obviously, the retail per capita in Europe is a lot less than what you see in, in, in the States and even Canada. Um, but still, there's many classic uh, retail format that will never recover. And, uh, you know, they'll require, it's going to require creative reuse and, and complete redevelopment in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, well, I agree. I think there's a lot of great retail locations, a lot of great retail real estate that are the interesting to see how the, some of the changes and uses happen. And, you know, we, on the use of office space, seems like we've seen a big push for companies to use uh, less square footage per person open and open rooms and open space. And I started seeing some pushback on that when employment got tight. And uh, I think that's good, I think, to see some more pushback on that for health reasons. And and hey, I'm so welcome for touchless technology. I don't, I shouldn't have to touch things when I go into a building and get in an elevator. I'm, I'm ready for that. Been ready for it. Um, and it's interesting too to see that some of the some of the companies, some of the large companies, well known that, that went to um, having people work mobily, uh, that ended up having to come back to it and say, look, we're losing culture, we're losing productivity. 
we're losing retention and, and we're losing you know, just the profitability at the end of the day. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how, how those trends uh, work out. And you did mention uh, when you're talking about office earlier about potentially uh, people needing more space. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. And it kind of works into your guys' uh, number eight, which is technology and workflow. Tell us about that. Well, um, I guess the COVID, they brought, it brought an urgency uh, for uh, technology to monitor and, and manage and mitigate risks. And that's, that's, that's what we've been doing for the last few months is really mitigating our risks. And combination of back to the office, uh, the need to reconfigure planning and operations and desire for more remote work uh, can only accelerate the adoption of technology. Um, so uh, I guess from many technologies, from nice to have, it becomes mandatory. And, you know, you were talking about touchless and contactless uh, doors and elevators and sanitary equipments and um, air and water quality monitoring and building systems, airflows, recirculation controls. Uh, all this is going to, I mean, remote building systems and services, health, uh, health screening and vital signs monitoring in buildings. It's, um, it, it's taking, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's developing that way and it's, uh, it's shaping up to be quite a, um, um, I guess a, a, a new way of, of operating your, your, your properties, not just the office building. You'd see that in pretty much every asset class you can think of. Uh, and uh, I guess the necessity will move us to better and, and smarter buildings uh, in terms of operation. Um, I guess just like we, uh, in terms of doing our work, we were forced to adopt virtual meetings and, and better safety standards and privacy and collaboration tools. Uh, uh, so uh, this, is, uh, this is really uh, a change. This is really a, uh, well, first, the change in density, use patterns, and and uh, and meeting frequency and movement uh, are likely to happen in the, more often and resulting in safer and more efficient space and better prepared for the next big surprise. Hopefully, uh, not soon, but <laughs> we have to be prepared and we have to stay prepared, creating more confidence for tenants and residents and uh, shoppers, and travelers, and events attendees so yeah. that's that's the whole thing yeah yeah well a lot of the technology you mentioned there means uh, a healthier environment those are all great things for all of us and then number nine is one that we've uh, heard before and uh, still on the list even though covid's going on infrastructure tell us about that well that that's an important one mike and uh we'll probably see it again and and our future top top ten, I, I can't predict, but it's it's one that's basically a long term uh, issue that needs to to be dealt with, a bit like our affordable housing thing. Uh, it's got infrastructure is really has a, a significant impact on land and the built environment and and in our lives in general. And uh, and funding is is elusive and probably more now than ever uh, obviously uh, with all the public debt and, and relief programs out there there's going to be less uh, room for infrastructure direct payments anyway direct uh, economic uh, uh, 
uh, implication basically with our governments. But basically, uh, the estimated global infrastructure of our infrastructure already in place, not even the ones that we need to develop with or tend towards, but the, uh, the underinvestment and the gap is more or less evaluated at $15 trillion globally. Um, and that's just, again, dealing with the ongoing current infrastructure. Uh, it has a serious impact on our quality, quality of life, the economic development, uh, the real estate values, and future resiliency of our basic systems. Um, the American Society of Civil Engineers rated our, our infrastructure situation to be a D plus. That's their rating they gave. Uh, and um, the online shopping, by the way, just uh, that we're going through now, which basically increased quite a bit, and it was already, uh, you know, in, in progress, and it's it's increasing more and more. It's continuously expanding right now, and the demand for a strong uh, logistic infrastructure will uh, will be uh, urgent, and particularly the last mile warehousing uh, and distribution facilities are being critical, especially when we get to essential services and uh, we didn't touch it too much there, but in, in our issue number two and one, um, the I think the 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 importance of having a bit of reshoring of certain manufacturing uh, coming back to the U.S., especially in uh, strategic and, and, and essential products and goods, and, and not just in terms of healthcare, but in generally speaking, uh, will will become important. And uh, again, the logistic infrastructure is a key into uh, establishing a facts uh, and manufacturing in that respect. Um, the need for private funding uh, to join the depleted public funding is also great. I think we need, again, the private sector to get involved with the infrastructure projects that we need to get going, but also to maintain what we have. Yeah. Well, it sounds like bringing more manufacturing back to Back to the U.S. Uh, is something that a lot of companies are interested in and should be uh, great for our economy there. Now, number 10, drum roll, please. <laughs> I guess it's the end, right? So it made it. Uh, ESG, tell us about that. Well, ESG, environment, social, and governance are three factors um, measuring sustainability and social societal Im impact, I guess, of an investment. Uh, ESG... Uh, is no longer an emerging trend, uh, Michael. It's it's uh, it's a critical component of uh, a real estate investment. It's become that way, and COVID nineteen has underscored that importance. But it was already very well, you know, in its way and established uh, as, as as you know, for the last couple of years, it's been becoming uh, very key into uh, our investment strategy. Trends were already underway, like I said, and and. Uh, there were a few factors for that. I mean, the risk of climate change is a big factor, and there's more. It's more prioritized. There's more of it. Stronger uh, impact and effect of, of climate changes and, and disasters, uh, and at a global scale as well. Insurance uh, have gone up drastically in the last five years. As you know, innovations and in, in measurements and tracking ESG performance is uh, is is better as well. Uh, 
even on the European side, Europe is actually uh, going through a disclosure of ESG and, and uh, as to be mandatory in 2021. Uh, and I guess that's the transition that they're going through to a low carbon resilience and resource efficient economy. Um, another factor is the new innovative ESG investment alternatives, uh, some, some energy savings innovation, even with the, at the grid level, the battery storage, uh, smart meters, uh, electric vehicles, uh, solar cladding, even to buildings, health sensors. Uh, this is all new innovation that's helping GST, um, uh, ES, ESG investment alternatives. And then we have obviously the growing influence of millennials that are really uh, overtaking the boomers as majority workforce and uh, they show greater interest and concern uh, with um, uh, ESG monitoring and, and, and compliance. And then, and as we see, Michael, I think in terms of business recognition of ESG initiatives, I think we, we see a lot more of that every year. And uh, if you look at 20% of the global Fortune 500, uh, committed to 100% renewable power, low carbon, and new or neutral by 2030. That's pretty uh, pretty fast. That's in 10 years. But you can see that major institutions that are invested in real estate and pension funds and and, and equity funds, large equity funds, uh, are are looking to be ESG compliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense. And uh, it's good for, for everybody in the climate. Well, Michael, your, your top 10 at Sierra counselors this year, it's obviously been really impacted by COVID. And obviously there's a lot of negative things that, uh, that that's causing. Uh, if we can, let's end this show with thinking about, hey, what are some of the positives uh, that come out of this? And I think you've touched on some of them with this top 10, but you know, as far as the recovery goes and where we were, uh, financially and, and debt-wise and real estate-wise and, and bank-wise uh, when we went into this and the amount of dry powder on, on the sideline and, and what some of these changes could mean for us uh, health-wise and efficiency-wise coming out of it. What, what are some positives that could come out of this COVID thing? Well, again, uh, Michael, I, I, duration is, is very important here. Um, and uh, it has a direct impact on, on consumer confidence and uh, I guess ability to congregate and uh, and more positive outlook and behavior and that that's a start that that needs to start there uh, corporations all the way to the individuals and uh, and so we got to get people back to work and uh, and and it only can get going if we get this consumer confidence in place and uh, and we're able to open up but we got to find a way to get uh, to a treatment or to a vaccine uh, in order to really be uh, open or to be uh, a lot at ease to open up our economy, and that's going to that's going to hold us back. I believe we're we're and I think we're getting close to getting somewhere that uh, with with a vaccine or herd immunity or even treatment, um, but. As economy confidence will set in the economy and real estate markets will recover gradually uh, uh, but don't forget real estate always lags the economy so the economy has to start up again and hopefully um, with the stimulus in place um, and I think there's some 
strong, still strong fundamentals to get the economy going. I think uh, it's going to bounce back. It's like I said, it's going to probably be a, a one to two year situation. Uh, real estate is going to follow, um, and um, employment is going to rise. Uh, individual buying power is is going to resurge, and capital liquidity will start flowing again. Um, I, I'm confident that uh, we'll we'll bounce back. I think, uh, like I said in the beginning, I think there is some uh, impacts and effect of this crisis that's going to stay. Uh, some changes, some innovation, uh, evolution is going to some can stay, some will stay, uh, and some habits will probably die off, and and we'll come back to certain ways we used to think. But in generally speaking, I think uh, times of crisis like that opens uh, uh, the way to uh, innovation, to address uh, more crisis situations in the future. And it uh, gives us a chance also to restabilize our fundamentals and our parameters for a better economy and a better life. Yeah, yeah, well, well said. And you know, I think uh, it also help us appreciate you know, our family and our loved ones and, you know, and, and actually seeing and being with the people, which is what makes life go around. And, and, uh, I think, uh, if we look back on this in a couple of years, I think we'll also see a lot less, lot less deaths from the flu. I think we were living in an environment that really overall was not healthy. And, uh, I think that's going to be something that really good comes out of this. Um, so I think, you know, if, and another thing I think is going to happen is that it's going to make our companies, our business, our real estate uh, really look to be more profitable, more efficient, I guess I should say. And you know, and companies are kind of look at everything a lot closer, uh, knowing that hey, you got to realize that, like you said, maybe there's something else around the corner, right? We don't know what's going to happen, and we look at our business and our productivity uh, in our lives, and we're all more efficient. We all appreciate things more. And at the end of the day, this too shall pass, right? Exactly. Exactly. Michael, great information. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for joining us around the country. We appreciate uh, you listening to the show or watching it. We'll have a link to the actual report here on the show website at CREshow.com. And uh, hey, we appreciate hearing from you. We appreciate your comments. We appreciate you sharing the show. And uh, hey, until next time, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. 
And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.